Chapter seven of In a North Country Village by M. E. Francis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Aunt Jinny. All Thornleigh was much excited when Mrs. Martha Billington came to live there. Her husband had been a native of the place, and was reported to have left her a nice little bit of money, and when she took up her abode at the quarry cottage opposite Rutherford's, the whole neighbourhood dropped in to make her acquaintance and to condole with her and to be regaled with the harrowing account of her gaffer's last end. He had been a tailor by trade, and things had prospered fairly with him, and would have prospered more, had not the sprees in which he occasionally indulged caused him to neglect his business for weeks together. One of these sprees had terminated fatally. He had left his home and had not returned. Mrs. Billington loved to describe her uneasiness, her inquiries, her anxious search, and the anguish with which she had at last identified a body washed up on the shore yonder as that of her lost Richard. It was true that he was that far gone that most people would have found it difficult to recognise him. Martha laid stress on this point, but she had at once identified his hair and his waistcoat, and the shoemaker last employed by him swore to the patches on his boots, and so she was enabled to draw his insurance money and give him a handsome funeral. The Rutherfords were as has been said her nearest neighbours, and curiously enough Joe Rutherford was a widower. He was a big, shambling, thick-headed, soft-hearted fellow, with a rooker little childer, whom he would have been altogether at a loss how to bring up, had it not been for his Aunt Jinny. On the death of his wife three years before, he had asked Aunt Jinny to keep house for him, and she had given up her work, and said good-bye to the cousin with whom she lodged, and carried her bits of things triumphantly down the lane to Joe's. The neighbours laughed a good deal, and wondered what hand an old maid, same as her, would make of all they little uns, and how long it'd be before the baby followed its mother. But Jinny had no misgivings. She sat down at once beside the cradle, and smiled her toothless smile at the sleeping infant, and informed the other children in a whisper that if they were careful not to disturb it, she would make a potato cake for tea. Thus was Aunt Jinny's reign inaugurated and a happy and prosperous one it proved to be. Joe and the children were better done for indeed, the house cleaner, and the garden more orderly than in the time of the late Mrs. Rutherford, upon whom Thornley had been wont to look down as a sickly poor crater at the best of times. Jinny was never happier than in the little patch of garden, and her roses and nasturtiums and sweet peas were the admiration of the countryside. A lilac bush stood on one side of the little gate, and a red thorn-tree on the other, which made a brave show in spring. It was a pretty little place altogether, this tiny flag-roofed red cottage, perched on the very edge of the Delf, where gorse bloomed gaily in the clefts, and tall reeds and yellow irises grew in the water at the bottom. But eh, it was very small, Martha Billington said, and she wondered how Jinny was not moidered to death with all those children messing about in such a bit of a place but she constantly made her way there all the same. Being a lone woman, it was natural that she should call upon Joe to help her whenever she wanted firewood chopped, or a shelf knocked up, or a door handle screwed on, and being a matron of long standing, who had buried three of her own, it was equally natural that she should bestow a great deal of advice on old maid Jinny, who couldn't, as she frequently observed, be expected to know much about the bringing up Sir Childer. Jinny didn't, as a rule, make much count of what Mrs. Billington said, 
though she was a little nettled when told that the baby was but a wummicky thing and that teddy would certainly get nesh in his innards if she didn't give over stuffing him with treacle butties she was seriously annoyed however when joe took to quoting mrs billington and to stating with unnecessary emphasis that she really was a stirring woman now and to looking in on the widow almost every evening to see if she wanted any odd jobs doing no one was surprised when the bands were given out between joseph rutherford and martha billington and jinny put the best face she could on the matter though she couldn't help taking it rather hard a joe and wondering whatever he could be thinking of to marry a woman ten year older than himself she occasionally said fifteen but that was in moments of extreme exasperation and what will ye do now jinny asked one of the neighbours commiseratingly on the eve of the wedding do said jinny why much the same as i've allus done i suppose and how will the new missus like that inquired the neighbour you'd happen better follow mary to upton i reckon things'll not be so comfortable for ye here mary was the cousin with whom jinny had formerly lived she was a dressmaker by trade and had recently left the village and set up with a widowed sister at upton aunt jinny's face fell and she began to rub her shrivelled hands together mary couldn't do wi me now she returned my sight's too bad for the sewing and lisa and me never did get on so well and it'd seem strange to leave thornley now the children happen fret poor things they're used to me you see and i couldn't find it in me heart to leave them eh i'll be reet enough joe'd never get on without me now and mrs joe'll happen find me useful i doubt for all she's so stirring she isn't such a terrible one for work as joe thinks and she won't care to be troubled with childer so jinny with the best grace she could muster gave up her place at the head of the table and the new mrs rutherford took possession of the teapot and carved the sunday beef though she was kind enough to allow her husband's aunt to cook it and moreover to do most of the scrubbing and cleaning and to undertake the family wash as for the children it was astonishing with what confidence she abandoned them to the care of the old maid though she took advantage of her authority as stepmother to forbid treacle butties and potato cakes had become things of the past but she certainly did her duty by them in the matter of cuffs and scaldings and the little rutherfords spent in consequence much of their time out of doors joe too who appeared a little startled and uncomfortable at this new state of things went much oftener to the upton arms than in former days and jinny grew silent and depressed there was not much love lost between her and mrs joe and though she saved a niece-in-law much trouble the latter secretly longed to get her out at the road jinny however evinced no signs of wishing to depart and joe stoutly and indignantly resisted any of his wife's hints as to the desirability of inviting her to take up her abode elsewhere so things went on uncomfortably and when the winter came jinny was short-sighted enough to complicate matters by a sharp attack of rheumatic gout certainly mrs joe couldn't be expected to attend to her jinny herself saw that and as the children were so young and joe at work all day and as nobody had money to be throwing away on hired attendants there was obviously nothing for it but for aunt jinny to go to hospital in town so poor jinny a mere bag of aching bones was put into a cab and drove off with mrs joe beside her and cried piteously under her wraps all the way mrs joe left her at the hospital and returned every week to see her a sign of feeling which touched jinny and cheered her with the hope of better times in future 
she grew better at last though she was wretchedly weak and it was doubtful if those poor distorted hands of hers would ever be fit for work again still she was practically well and one day triumphantly informed her niece-in-law that she was to be discharged the following week the children'll be glad to see me won't they she chuckled and then mrs joe told her that joe and she had been thinking and really it was very unfortunate but they didn't see how they were to manage about her now jinny sat up and gasped joe thinks you know pursued her niece as it can't be expected as he can do wi a sick body in th house times is bad and th childer has but him to look to there's th expense to be thought of you know and who's to do for you eh i'd not want no doing for pleaded jinny big drops suddenly standing on her brow i i, I could soon manage little jobs about the house same as i used you know and my mate's not much she added wistfully i allus was a poor eater but martha was firm any one could see for theirselves as jinny had never do a hand's turn again besides joe had said plain as he couldn't keep her and what was a body to do the man was gaffer in his own house joe said he couldn't keep me repeated poor aunt jinny eh well happen he's reet but what mun i do where mun i go eh there's lots of places for poor folk now where they're as comfortable as can be returned mrs joe things isn't as they used to be you know why yonder there at the north side o town th old folks has parties and tea drinkings and a lovely yard to walk in do you mean at the union interrupted jinny clasping her poor twisted hands appealingly eh martha will joe let me go there martha martha mun i go there eh martha let me dee at home i'll soon dee i'll niver ax for nowt but don't say i have to go yonder but of course she did have to go yonder there was nothing else for it and as for returning to thornleigh for a week or two first as poor jinny desperately suggested who was going to be at the expense of shifting her backwards and forwards martha wanted to know jinny was too weak and too old and too ill to withstand her and a few days later found her at that gehenna of the respectable poor the workhouse everything was very neat and clean and orderly her food was plentiful and good of its kind and jinny was still feeble enough to be sent at once to the infirmary where she found her bed fairly comfortable and her neighbours on either side quiet and well spoken but as she lay there staring blankly at the whitewashed wall opposite or drew her head under the clothes to weep at her ease she said to herself that it was a dreadful place and wished with all the ardour of her poor old heart that she could die but she didn't die she got better instead and by and by the little dainties which had been considered necessary for her were cut off and soon she was allowed to get up and sit beside her bed instead of lying in it after christmas they said she would be well enough to leave the infirmary and go into the house jinny listened blankly after christmas what did anything matter she was to spend her christmas in the union and that was enough for her some of the other paupers old stagers contented with their lot talked gleefully of the fine doings she might expect at christmas they always had a party they said and the ladies came and played and sang for them and there was a christmas tree and then jinny thought of how she used to put toys and sweeties at the foot of the children's beds at home 
and turned her face to the wall. Ladies visited the ward sometimes, chatting to the patients and cheering them with little presents of tea and snuff and lozenges. And one day a young girl came in and sang for them. Aunt Jinny sat very still listening, her hands folded in her lap, her dim eyes gazing at the glaring white wall. Aye, and beyond the squalid streets and the miles of stony road at Thornley and her youth and green fields and friendly faces. The young voice paused and then rang out afresh, and all at once Jinny became old and miserable again. It was the Christmas hymn which resounded through the room now. The Christmas hymn, and there she was in the workhouse. Rising, she uttered a hoarse cry, and stretching out her lean arms, fell sideways on her bed, her whole form writhing convulsively. The singing ceased abruptly. The nurse hurried down the ward. The patients craned their neck to see what was the matter with the woman. Was she in a fit? But Jinny was only sobbing. Then the singer came to her and took her hand and spoke kind words to her, and Jinny grew calmer and presently explained that the Christmas hymn had upset her terrible and that she couldn't, couldn't, not if it was ever so, make up her mind to the thought of spending Christmas at the Union. If it weren't for the thought of Christmas, I think I could welly resign myself, said Jinny, looking up, while big tears coursed down her wrinkled nose. I welly think I could, but eh, to be here at Christmas. I can't say the will of the Lord be done. And if you could go away for Christmas, do you really think you would mind being here less afterwards? asked the young lady. That I would, returned Jinny with conviction. I could bear myself better. You know, miss, I can't tell you how tis, but it seems as if I couldn't niver hold up my head again after spending Christmas at the workhouse. The girl was young, and perhaps not very wise, but her heart was soft and her purse was full, and so, when no one was looking, she slipped a half-sovereign into Jinny's hand. "'Now you can go away for Christmas,' she said. Who could describe Aunt Jinny's joy and the feelings with which, on Christmas Eve, she found herself hobbling along the road to Thornley? It was only two miles from Upton Station, and Jinny had preferred to walk and to spend the few shillings which remained to her after paying the railway fare and her cab across town in presents for the children. There were oranges and sugar sticks in her bundle, and a doll for Polly, and a trumpet for Teddy. She had even managed to buy a necktie for Joe Rutherford, and a bright-coloured handkerchief for Martha. Thus laden, she thought she could not fail to be welcome. She had winked to herself, indeed, and rejoiced in her own cunning, when she had chosen the handkerchief. Martha would certainly be civil after such a present as that, and as for the others, bless their hearts, she knew they would be glad to see her. It was true that she had wondered and fretted a good deal yonder, because Joe never came to see her, but now she told herself that it wasn't to be expected. He would be glad to see her now, this was more to the point. She pictured the slow smile which would creep over his face. He would surely cry out, Why, it's niver Aunt Jinny, and then the children would dance round her and clap their hands. How surprised they would all be! Jinny chuckled to herself as she thought of it. That was almost the best part of it. They would all be at tea most likely when she got there, and she would tap at the door and say, A Merry Christmas to you! And then, 
what a pushing back of chairs what a fuss and scampering there would be martha might look a bit sour at first very likely she would but jinny would make haste to present her handkerchief and would whisper in her ear i've not comed for long and so she would begin to be pleasant perhaps joe might say as he didn't see why jinny need go back to the union she wasn't not to say sickly now but there it was best not to think of that she would stay over the new year at any rate it was difficult to walk along the road very fast for the trodden snow was slippery and jinny's limbs were stiff and feeble and the oranges would keep slipping out of her bundle and rolling just out of arm's length it would soon be dark and still she had a good way to go but she thought of the bright lights in thornleigh yonder and the warm fire and the children's happy faces and trotted on still smiling to herself she had just picked up an orange for the seventh time and re-knotted her bundle and straightened her back when a portly figure suddenly rounded the corner of the road and paused staring back at the sight of her why martha cried jinny colouring faintly and stretching out her hand aunt jinny it's niver you ejaculated mrs rutherford whatever brings ye here and where on earth are ye going i were going home quavered jinny making great haste to fumble in her pocket for martha's handkerchief i'm not comed for long just for christmas martha i couldn't stop in the union at christmas time you know a lady gave me ten shillings for me ticket and that and i've some little presents here she shook out the handkerchief and diffidently proffered it to martha i, I thought happen you might find this come in for yourself she added tremulously martha took it and turned it over and then tendered it back to her with an odd look on her face you'd best keep it she said gruffly it'll keep your neck warm i've just got me one as is twice as big and i've no need for two jinny took it desperately wounded and blinking hard to keep back the tears martha stood still in front of her her stout figure completely blocking up the path something in her very attitude as well as the expression of her stolid face making the poor old woman's heart turn sick within her with a new awful fear I i'll not stop long martha she whimpered ye'll not stop at all returned mrs rutherford ye munna think o going to our place we couldn't do with ye why woman what should ye come to shame joe and the childer for them as ye think so much of what would all the neighbours say if they knowed their aunt was of the union and where do they think i've been all this time asked jinny her tears suddenly ceasing though she trembled like an aspen leaf he a grave said martha setting her arms akimbo and looking fiercely defiant i towed em ye was dead there and i towed joe ye was dead and the childer and joe's been wearing a black band on sat for ye all the winter and he'd be fit to kill me if he knowed so i'm not going to let ye come to thornleigh to make mischief between man and wife there jinny's brain reeled and she sank down a very heap of misery on the snowy roadside feebly trying to push her niece from her as she bent over her i'll not leave ye till i see ye on your way back to town said martha ark now jinny rutherford it'll be the worst day's work ye did o your life if you come between joe and me and what's more he'd never hold up his head again if it was said as ye came straight to his house for the union dear now it'll be no kindness to him if ye do i tell ye very well then moaned poor jinny 
ye needn't trouble yourself, martha i'll not go nigh him she struggled to her feet with the aid of mrs rutherford and held out a little bundle these here bits of things i'd like the childer to have em the dolls for polly and the trumpets for teddy and and there's marbles for the other lads and a few sugar sticks and things ye might tell em as with a great gulp as feyther christmas sent em and there's a necktie here as i got for joe will ye give it him martha promised looking rather sheepish as she took possession of poor jinny's little gifts there still remained the handkerchief which jinny after contemplating it for a moment and observing with great dignity that she wouldn't trouble martha with that flung over the hedge then she wrapped her shawl more closely about her and turned round good afternoon she said hobbling off slowly in the direction when she had come martha watched her for a few minutes and finding she did not pause or turn her head heaved a deep sigh of relief and betook herself homewards jinny walked on sobbing as she went and occasionally lurching against the hedge in her weakness and despair it was growing dark now and her sight was blurred with tears so she made many false steps and at last stood stock still feeling she had neither strength nor spirit to advance further why need she hurry after all what great speed was required for a journey which was to end in the workhouse oh the cruelty of it the injustice to force her to go there and then to be ashamed of her and martha had told every one she was dead joe had been wearing a black hat-band for her such poor vitality as jinny possessed tingled within her with indignation she felt outraged and humiliated how was it that if joe had thought her dead he had made no effort to go to her funeral martha had probably put him off in some way but all the same jinny felt this slight to her imaginary corpse acutely where did they suppose she was buried and how was it possible folks thought she'd been buried by the parish the blood swept over her face at the idea it was the crowning ignominy the bitterest drop in all her cup of gall and yet this was what she must surely come to she would never leave that living tomb to which she was about to return until she was carried out for her pauper funeral yonder stood thornley church dimly defined against the murky sky yonder lay her father and mother and all her people and she was to go back to die in the union to be buried by the parish she started forward clenching her hands that i won't she cried and she began feebly to drag herself towards thornley a certain desperate determination shaping itself in her mind the while she had promised not to go back there to live but she would go back there to die she would creep under cover of the darkness to rutherford's corner of the churchyard and there she would lay her down she had heard that people who laid them down in the snow slept never to wake again well it was better than going back to die in the union and when the people found her in the morning lying with her own folks they would see that she had not been buried by the parish and joe she knew would make sure that she was carried to her long home decent it seemed a long journey and it was certainly a painful one but jinny reached her goal at last and sank down on her mother's grave she had a right to be there at least no one could turn her away 
this was her place with the dead oh the snow was cold and jinny was numb and weary but she summoned up all her courage and composed her weary limbs and folded her arms on her breast she would say her prayers now here i lay me down to sleep she began using the little formula which she had repeated every night since that far-away childhood of hers but the words would not come right and she could not rouse herself sufficiently to recall them here i lay me here i lay me down to sleep she repeated aloud drowsily and then she began to see bright colours and to feel very comfortable so comfortable that she was not a little indignant presently when she became aware that somebody was shouting in her ear and endeavouring to raise her after a long blank interval she found herself to her immense astonishment seated before a blazing fire in the canon's kitchen the canon's housekeeper was chafing her feet the canon himself rubbing her hands while opposite to her with open mouth and eyes goggling almost out of his head was her nephew joe rutherford himself joe she ejaculated faintly it is her said joe clapping his hands ecstatically it's herself it's aunt jinny how she comes here beats me but here she is and that's enough how are you aunt jinny eh i'm fain to see ye but my head's that fuzzy i welly think i mun be dreaming the honest fellow who had been half laughing and half whimpering during this speech here made a clutch at jinny's hand pumped it vigorously up and down and burst out crying but when jinny presently told her story feebly and by slow degrees his countenance changed and when the canon seeing that his indignation excited and further exhausted the old woman sent him out of the room he went straight home and thumped martha his feelings imperatively demanded an outlet of some kind and this appeared to him equally suitable and satisfactory wife-beating was practically unknown at thornley but on this occasion joe certainly did correct his spouse in the manner above mentioned and it must be owned that she deserved it jinny lay between life and death for several days the strain and shock and subsequent chill proving almost too much for her the canon had duly lectured her for having courted death as she had done but there were times when he thought to himself that death would be the easiest solution of jinny's difficulties she was happy enough now in the little spare room at the presbytery but when she got well she could not of course stay there and though joe insisted that she must return to his house martha would probably make her life miserable if she did there seemed no way out of it it was almost to be hoped that jinny would die the puzzle was solved however in the most extraordinary and unexpected fashion by the discovery of no less a person than mr richard billington himself his last spree had it seemed proved too much for a brain at no time one of the strongest and he had passed the ten months which had elapsed since his disappearance in the county asylum where in christmas week he was seen and recognised by an honest farmer and his wife on visiting their lunatic son they described him as alive and well and except for a rooted conviction that he was the emperor of germany and an unfortunate disposition to bite every one who refused to pay him homage as sane they said as they were the canon set off at once to make sure there was no mistake 
being accompanied by Martha, who was obliged to acknowledge the identity of her husband. How his boots and waistcoat came to be worn by another man was a mystery which was never cleared up, but there he was, an incontrovertible fact. So Martha had to pay back the insurance money, and to say good-bye to Joe, and to become Mrs. Billington again. She left Thornleigh and returned to the town where she supported herself by washing, and was much honoured and respected to the end of her days, as became a woman with a grievance. It was not merely the fact of being a grass widow with a husband in a lunatic asylum, which called forth the sympathy of her acquaintances, but to think that she spent all that money in burying a man as was no kin to her. Eh, she had seen trouble, poor soul. Joe bore up wonderful, Thornley said, and the children were out of their wits with joy. As for Aunt Jinny, she postponed her dying to an indefinite period, and went back to keep house for them again and though she was stiff and rheumatic still, it was wonderful how much work she managed to get through. Soon the episode of Joe's second marriage was remembered only as a bad dream, but Jinny never laid her down a neats without breathing a prayer for all poor folks as has no home of their own. End of chapter 7